Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by James Hardy Siding, the best siding on the planet. We're going to head out to Cartwright, Texas. Kathy, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. I have an existing fireplace and I would like to put an insert in it. As it okay. is, I'm just burning wood and as we heat going up the chimney. In a previous home, we had a country flame uh, fireplace. You loaded it up with wood, closed the doors, and turned the blowers on, and it worked great. Right. So do you recommend me getting someone to put in a fireplace insert? You can, uh, or if you want to have a fan system like you had, they actually make a portable one that you can set into the firebox, and it's really? basically got pipes that come up. The flames heat them up. And a blower can push that out into the room. Really? So, do you do you put it inside the fireplace? Yes, ma'am. Just just like you would your logs. It it uh, it kind of replaces the uh, the rack. You know that you set your wood on in the fireplace. Yeah, the fire dogs. Yeah. Yeah, and and it basically comes up the back of the fireplace, curls up between the uh, chimney and the uh, front doors of the fireplace. and Okay, so the, the, the pipe or whatever goes up yeah. through the damper? It doesn't go through it. It's below it, but uh, and you can see all of it, but it's not like it's ugly by any means of the imagination. But, yeah, it curls up yeah. that way so that all that tube is heating up and it's pushing the air out into the room. Oh, do you know the brand of it or where they sell it? Oh, a fire, you'd have to go to a, a regular fireplace store. Um, okay. I don't know of any in Oklahoma. I know there's one in Plano, Texas that uh, okay. would, would be able to get that for you. But as as far as putting in an insert, absolutely. Yeah. I, I love the inserts. And, and uh, you know, they make them now where you don't have to have, well, they've had them for years, where you don't have to have them vented even. And so it, it just pushes all the air out into the room, and mm. you could close your dampers off completely. So where does the smoke go? Well, it's it's not made for wood. It would have to be gas in order to do that. Oh. And there is no okay. smoke. If you're wanting gas, I mean uh, wood, then that one I was just talking about with the pipes would be the way to go. Right. Well, I appreciate it. You bet. Take care. Okay. Mm, bye-bye. Um, now, they do make some also that you can have fans hooked up into the uh, walls of the fireplace and stuff, but that requires rebuilding of the fireplace, and that's the reason I like that insert with the pipes. that It does a, a really good job of it. Uh, and just a, a, a quick side note, uh, injured myself this week, and you know, I've, I've been talking, I've been working on my son's house, and... I was waiting for the electrician to come, had some time to kill, so I was working on the fireplace, taking the stone off the fireplace, and I knocked one of the big stones off. It bounced and landed on top of my big toe and crushed it. Um, 58 years, 58, almost 59 years old, never had a broken bone until now, and I crushed that big toe nice and flat on the end of it 
Uh, did that on Monday. Was using crutches in a walker Monday and Tuesday. I'm up to just using the the little shoe with the flat bottom now, but uh, so it's healing up nice and quick and and good. But let me tell you, there was some choice words being uttered out of my mouth when that stone hit, and it hurt like heck. That not something I would recommend. And you'll you'll see me a lot of times not using the proper safety gear. You will probably see me using more safety gear than I used to. Steel toes would have kept this from happening. Uh, on the same token, though, and, and this is kind of the attitude I've had a lot of times with some safety gear, steel toes is great. Yes, it would have kept me from breaking this toe, but if that rock would have hit me just two, three inches higher up, it would have hit the the bones, you know, up on top of the foot, and and just it would have just shattered the the foot. Uh, and steel toes don't fix that problem, but it sure as heck would have saved my toe this time. So I, I regret not having steel toes, and you'll see me a lot of times without safety goggles and a mask and hearing protection and things like that. Hence, I wear hearing aids. Uh, th this is learn from my mistakes. Use the proper safety equipment anyway and you'll be able to see more of this uh because yes we were doing the tv show when this happened so yeah you'll be able to see it on the tv show and i'll let you know when that comes up but uh it, it's a few it's a few weeks away still my house is all electric i would like to get a gas line installed to the house how much would something like that typically cost well Vince, I just went through it. Uh, I don't have natural gas available in my neighborhood. So I had to have a propane tank installed in the yard and then ran gas lines into the house. Now, since I own the plumbing company, I kind of did all the gas lines ourselves with my guys and, and didn't have uh, normal expenses involving it. But it's all going to depend on how far you have to run lines in order to put the gas lines in. If you've got natural gas available, you've got a trench over to wherever you've got to tie into it uh, and run lines, have a meter installed, and you know, hook it up to the house then. Um, let me give you a little tip, though, on if you have natural gas available. The closer you can get the yard line, uh, which means the closer you can get the meter to your home, the better off you are. And I say that because if the yard line ever goes bad, and they do deteriorate with age, typically, uh, but or if it gets damaged or something like that, anything before the meter belongs to the gas company. Anything after the meter is yours. So if the meter's at the fence line, everything across the yard is yours to maintain and and repair and all that stuff uh but any anyways and that's only if you got natural gas available now typically if you have natural gas available like that it would have normally already been run into the house unless they brought the natural gas in later so I, i'm gonna go with the assumption you don't have natural gas available so you got to look at putting in a propane tank I will tell you, I just put in a 250-gallon propane tank, um, and the cost to have that done 
by the time I had the, the tank set and installed, not counting running the lines to the house, was $5,600. Now, am I going to recoup that in savings on my electric bill and all that stuff? By the time I pay for the natural gas, probably not. I did it because I like gas. I'm gonna, I want to change my cooking over to gas. Uh, I like gas heat better just because of the, the moisture in the air to keep the humidity up a little bit to not dry me out quite as bad. Uh, so it was just a personal preference. But that kind of gives you an idea. It's not a cheap process. And once you run the gas, you still got the expense of changing that electric heat system out for gas as well. And when you do that, there's other expenses that go with that as well. You got the lines to run in the house. You've got an exhaust that you got to run through the roof to vent it out. Uh, so there's a lot more to it than just swapping the unit itself. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. And this is Jim. How can I help you? Hi, Jim. I hope uh, hope you have a speedy recovery. Um, <laughs> oh, I do, I too. A, <laughs> I have a two-car garage, and there are four support beams that go horizontal. And um, the back, the one closest to the back of the garage, has a crack in it on the right. It's on the kind of the right side. So who do I call to come in and repair that? Is it a wooden beam or sheetrock yeah, or what? What, you, wooden, what are you looking wooden at? Wooden beam. Okay. Uh, really, just a carpenter should be able to handle that for you. It's a pretty big crack. Like, we're afraid it's going to fall down. Well, you're going to have a couple of ways of fixing it. Uh, one is going to be he's going to have to put some temporary supports, take that beam out, and replace it. The other would be to put a support to pick it back up where it needs to be and put steel plates over it in order to span it. But my big question is, what caused it to break to begin with? I don't know. We called the insurance uh, Because you sent, you sent me an email on this, didn't you? Yes, I did. Because yeah. uh, I, I looked at the email. And so, in fact, it's on my list for emails today. And, uh, you know, my first thought was, what changed that caused that beam to break? Uh because it's either something got loaded different on it or, you know, typically those beams like that are multiple boards put together. And if termites got into some of them and things like that, uh, if termites got into it or something and ate on the backside, then the, the ones that you're seeing could be breaking. And yes, you're right. It could fall at that point. So it, you definitely need to get somebody board. out. Yeah, it was a 32-year-old garage, and, and it looks like there was a knot in the wood in, in the area. And so a knot can create a weak spot, but a, a, a header beam like that is going to typically be at least two boards thick, sometimes three. And so the, the board on the back side, you know, if this thing hadn't started sagging or anything yet... You'd be able to put a, a steel plate or something over it. Wouldn't have to be full length, you know. Uh, put it like a three or four foot long steel plate up there that you can attach going through the both boards uh, and clamp it tight, and that would take care of it. Bita, how are you today? Jim, thank you. I sure enjoy your program when I listen to you, and I should listen more often. 
single woman, and I don't have anybody to do my honeymoon here. My oh. first question is, I, I have some bamboo furniture that um, I have had on my porch for three years, and it's deteriorating, and I wanted to know what I could put on it to preserve it from further de- deterioration. And then also I need to find out who locally might repair those little strips that are twisted around bamboo to hold the furniture together. Well, as far as something to put on it, does it not have a finish on it already? Well, it had a finish that was a nice, like, uh, color, and now it's the real dull looking. And I just wanted to spiff it up a bit, although I could live. I just thought I didn't know if it would deteriorate further, so I might put something on it to preserve it from doing that. Yeah, the, typically what they put on it is is just a like a uh, varnish shellac type finish in order to give it that gloss. Bamboo is really yeah. good about not doing a lot of rotting. Uh, um, so what was the last thing you said? Bamboo is really good about not rotting a lot uh, oh, and okay. you know deteriorating. So, uh, but it is still a natural material. So yes, it will degrade over over time, and uh, it it'll become brittle. And that's probably what's happened is you got some pieces that become brittle. If it doesn't still have that film on it from the old varnish or or whatever was put on, you actually could put some Ready Seal on it, and that's an oil based product that would soak in. And keep the the uh, fibers still pliable to where it doesn't deteriorate and doesn't take on moisture uh, that way, and that may be a great option for you uh, as far as taking care of it. But it's all going to depend on what kind of condition the finish itself is on or in. You know, if it's bare at this point, then the Ready Seal will do wonderful. But if it's still got any type of varnish or shellac or or uh, polyurethane, anything like that on it, it just won't soak in. You know, I I could get some, I guess, and try it, right? How do, yes, how do you apply the Ready Seal? Oh, you can roll it, brush it, spray it. It, it doesn't matter. And, and just any way you can get it on is fine. On, on uh, bamboo like that, uh, probably brushing it or spraying it's going to be the best way. Spraying seems like it would be easier. How do I... If I find out that it soaks in, do I need to prep it in any way? Just clean it up good. Like with a brush and water and then let it dry and then... Yes, ma'am. Yep. Okay. And do you know anybody locally who repairs those strips that wrap around the bamboo to hold it together? Yeah, that I don't know. Uh, I've not come across that ever. Okay, it's not too bad. Uh, yeah, in in the places where it has started to come apart. So, okay, well, thank you for that. And I have one more question, if I'm sure. One go more ahead. Question, if I might ask you. So, in my bathroom shower, there's one corner uh, that is mildewing, and okay. uh, that's inside the shower stall. Outside the shower stall, where the platform at the bottom of the platform where it meets the floor. Uh-huh. There's mildew there as well, and I'm guessing maybe the only thing is that that caulk 
water is getting through that caulk. So I don't know if I just need to replace the caulking and if that will fix um, what's going on on the floor underneath. What is your shower made out of? Is it tile on the floor? No, it's not. Um, It's a solid one piece? Yes. Okay. Then, uh, you know, chances are it's not leaking through that. It's more, if you're getting water at the bottom, like you you mentioned, it could be Mm -hmm. that where the pipe, drain pipe hooks in uh, is not sealed well and and allowing moisture to come, come out. Oh, so should I get a plumber out? To yes, look ma'am. At that? I would have that. I would have that looked at before I did did a bunch of caulking and stuff. Because uh, if that is leaking, you caulk around the outside; it seals it, but the water's still underneath and going somewhere else and causing damage. So I would have it checked prior to doing the caulking. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much. I You're appreciate welcome. your help you on both care. these items. You bet. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Lena, how are you? I am fine, thank you. And I have a question. My daughter's home has the masonite siding, you know, that has the design in it, the ribs kind of. And it's it's been it was installed about twenty five years ago, I guess, and the bottom is peeling and coming off actually. Right. So when you re- if we cut say a foot or two feet up from the bottom uh-huh. and we use another whether it's hardy board or some other product how can you keep the water out of that seam can you put a piece of flashing well when you cut it uh yes you'll you'll want to paint the bottom of where you cut uh-huh. And then they make what's called a Z-strip flashing. And it literally looks like a big Z. And you'll take and slide that up underneath the existing siding. And then the oh. new siding goes in uh, on on top of it. And that's to, as the water comes down, to keep the water from going in behind yeah. the, the, the new stuff. Okay. I knew there was something that you could yep. do to keep the water out. I just caulk it good before you put that in there then. Uh, no, well, paint, paint it well. Paint, paint the old it. siding. Yeah, paint <laughs> the old siding on the bottom well. And, and you know, I, I, t- I talked with a guy earlier today on WBAP about this. If you'll come up about three feet or three and a half feet, cut it and then put lap siding coming up so you got lines going one direction and then the other direction it actually looks really good oh instead of instead of just doing that bottom 12 inches bring it up like three to three and a half feet and and it'll, it'll just change the looks of that garage for you oh yeah okay and put, put a piece of trim over that yep. thing there you oh, go great. uh ron and conroe how can i help you Good afternoon, sir. We are building our own home, literally, and we're getting to the point where I need to finalize some decisions on the roof. Our plan was, or is, to use a metal roof. I see new homes being built every day across across the road, and they're using either 7 16ths or half-inch OSB sheathing. 
Now, the yeah. metal roof manufacturers will tell us we don't want OSB at all. We yeah. want plywood. We are, yep. we love three-quarter, maybe five-eighths, but um, – and that leaves me with a quandary. We really you need to go with three-quarters? Uh, no. I mean, it's done all the time on half-inch. Uh, the three-quarters, though, what it does, it gives you a more solid base – and it's better for the fasteners to hold the metal roof on. Exactly. You got enough material there for the fasteners. Exactly. See, you know, it used to be everything was done with half inch, but uh, they changed the size of half inch plywood down a little bit. And so it's no longer a full half inch. And so now a lot of the roofing uh, materials are asking for the three quarter because it's closer to the half inch that we originally were dealing with. And that's really what it comes down to. And plywood is going to be better to fasten to than OSB? Absolutely, without question. Cheryl from Bay Cities has a 12 by 33 rectangle fiberglass pool that needs to be removed and or demolished. Please provide recommendations. Is it possible to relocate? Will removing decking damage the pool? Pool is located in River Oaks subdivision outside of Bay City, Texas. Also, my house needs foundation work. Does Due West come to Bay City? If not, do you recommend? who do you recommend? Thank you. Well, Due West goes to Bay City. We do work in Bay City all the time, so that'll be the first thing I'll tell you. You can call Due West Foundation Repair, 713-473-7156. As far as the swimming pool, hey, there's a lot that goes into making the determination of what you can do with a swimming pool, how to remove it, what needs to be done to meet codes nowadays, because in the last couple of years, all that has changed. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a quick break here. When we come back, I'll go over swimming pools, not just the fiberglass, but the, the, the regular gunite pools as well. Uh, look, if you have a swimming pool that you're going to be removing, if it's fiberglass and you got the and like they were asking as far as the uh, pool deck, is that going to damage it? I'm not worried about the pool deck damaging it as, as much as just the age of the pool itself. You know, as it ages, it's going to become a little more brittle and stuff. So whether you can remove it and reuse it or not, I've got no idea. That's going to really depend on the condition and age of that pool. Uh, but I will tell you the new codes... And this is almost every place that I've gone to where people want to fill in a swimming pool. You can no longer just break the top of the concrete off and fill the hole in and leave the concrete in the bottom. They want the pool itself hauled out and then fill the hole with dirt and compact it as you're filling it. Uh, th this has just added thousands of dollars to backfilling a swimming pool because not only do you got to dig all that concrete out you got to break it up in order to dig it out and then the compaction and everything uh you know, i'm not arguing whether it's a good way or bad way i'm simply saying it's a whole lot more expensive than it used to be to get rid of a swimming pool to the point where if you have a swimming pool you're typically going to be cheaper to refinish that pool and keep it going than to just backfill it like people have tried to do in the in the past because the the city's 
just don't let it happen anymore. So sorry to pass that on to you. But with the fiberglass one, like I said, you're just going to have to have somebody who does fiberglass pools look and see if they can uh, take it out and if it can be reused that way. That's a, that's a tough call. We're going to head to Northwest Houston. Hello, Mike. Hey, Jim. How are you, sir? Wonderful. How about you? Oh, great. Uh, what's the best way to protect a, a tankless water heater that's mounted outside uh, with during the cold? I, I Last year, during the February freeze, I had a, a, a pipe in my tankless water heater rupture. Yeah. Uh, is there a way to protect those things somehow, insulate them? Uh, typically, I would recommend to put a cabinet around it. Oh. Uh, that would protect okay. it from the elements. But, you know, you've got one hanging out there. A, you don't have time to put a cabinet on it. Or would, I said, would a blanket of insulation help? or what? Well, and, and that's that's what I was just going to say. If if you've got one hanging out there, yeah. don't have time to put a cabinet, then, yes, yeah. start hanging a, a blanket on top of it. Okay. Uh, you can You can use insulation under the blanket if you want, but quite frankly, most of the time, if you'll just hang a, a blanket itself over it, and then I'm going to tell you to go one step further. Right. Just spray that blanket down with a little moisture. Uh-huh. That'll freeze and uh-huh. become a, a protective wall okay. for the water heater. Okay. Is it necessary to drain it, or would it, would no. it drain if just like if I drain the pipes? It, it, if you want to drain it and shut it off, you can, but typically it's not necessary. Okay. Now, one other thing you can do is to... If you can get the old incandescent light bulbs, you know, they used to put oh, off heat. Sure, when you have sure. a blanket hanging over there, you have a light bulb. Make sure the blanket's not on the bulb. Uh-huh. But that puts out enough heat to keep the pipes from uh, freezing. That's a, good, that's a good idea. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. You bet. You take care. Now, I typically don't recommend putting the water heater outside. Put it in the garage. Put it up in the attic. I know the manufacturers tell you all the time they can go outside. The water heaters that were outside, there was thousands, tens of thousands of them that froze in February. It it was just a nightmare trying to get everybody back up. And you couldn't get enough water heaters to do it. Uh, it, it took quite a bit of time to be able to get that all taken care of. Roger, this is Jim. How can I help you? Hi, Jim. Hey. My house was built in 1930, and it doesn't have a subfloor, and my wife wants to uh, get uh, insulation sprayed up uh, underneath. Is is that something we should do? No. And I, are you getting air drafts coming up, or is it just because she feels cold in her on her feet? It's it's the second one. Yeah. Okay. Here's the issue. That house has been sitting there for, what, 90 years now. Yeah. And if you st- start sealing everything off like that, it can cause floors to start cupping, warping, different things like that because you're changing oh, really? air flows and the way things dry out. Uh, if you insist on doing some type of insulation, spray foam is the right way to go. It needs to be a closed cell, right? Uh, but be prepared, since you don't have two layers of flooring, you just have the single layer, you may get yeah. some of it squeezed up into the living space as well. <laughs> right. So it can make a real mess. Okay. 
That's what I thought. I'm going to relay that to her. Uh, I appreciate it. I, I wish you all the luck in the world with that one. <laughs> uh, here's what you, you know, Christmas is coming up. We, you know, we're, we're, we're less than two months away at this point. Buy her a very nice pair of fuzzy slippers. Yeah, coming up. Yep. <laughs> Take it easy, Roger. Right. Thank you. All right, bye. bye. And, and that's for everybody. If you live in one of those older homes, uh, I, I cannot tell you how expensive of a repair it can be when you put insulation underneath these old homes that weren't built with it. Some of the biggest foundation jobs I've done on block and base and pier and beam homes have been a, as a result of insulation being added to a house that wasn't built with it. It's fine in the walls, but underneath the crawl space, you got humidity that gets into it. If you put in like a fiberglass insulation, it, that humidity gets into that insulation, holds it against the wood, and just rots the underside out. Uh, avoid adding the insulation. That's just just field experience there trying to help you out. Mark, this is Jim. How can I help you? I've got a door. Uh, a door. It's, a, it's a framed shower door, and it's binding at the bottom of the door, and I'm wondering if there's a way to like raise the door up an eighth or a quarter of an inch or whatever is it binding on the handle side or or near the uh the pivot the it's hand. definitely binding more towards the handle side so you can okay. close the door to like almost an inch but that last inch won't won't go yeah and i've checked i don't think it's binding at that at, at the door entry i i think it's just the fact that it's just sitting kind of too low i think yep hitting on the bottom so yeah. th there's two things on, on these shower doors one uh a lot of them have a basically a plastic grommet that uh they sit into and that can wear and allow it to drop ever so slight and and start hitting but normally if that's the case it's going to hit all the way across what yours sounds like is the door is is starting to tilt just a little bit. And that can happen because where the hinge is, you know, there's just that little pin that sticks up. There's usually a set screw that you can uh, uh, loosen up and adjust that a little bit. Move it back towards the uh, handle side a little bit, tighten it back down. And basically that's to adjust the squareness of the door. And I got an idea. All that's happened is that thing's probably moved ever so slight. So it starts at the top of the door by the hinge because there's like a uh, there's a brown grommet, you know, kind of covering maybe some kind of screw or something at the right. top of the door and then at the bottom of the door. So if I remove that grommet, and at the top really, of the door, you have to you should have to just remove the one on the bottom and adjust it. Oh, really? With like some kind of um, with uh, with a wrench or something. So remove that and either tighten it or loosen it, and it'll raise or lower the door slightly. Well, no. What it does is it 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 actually slides uh, left to right a little bit, and the top one mm -hmm. will, probably, will do the same thing usually. So yeah, you could actually for the minor amount you have, you could actually move either one. But yeah, that's going to be the adjustments, and it's like you said, where that little brown thing is, you can probably pop that off, and it's usually going to be a Phillips head screw screwdriver and just like either with a pair of pliers just pull that little little yep. cover off or whatever and, okay that's perfect thank you so much that's, you that's bet, exactly Mark. what i needed take, take care. care thank you all right 
barn needs ventilation. Hi, Jim. Enjoy your show very much and have learned so many things. I have a 30 by 40 metal barn that I added a four by eight sheets of plywood to so the walls were more functional. I have noticed that in the summer especially, it is extremely humid, I'm guessing from the plywood retaining the moisture, and smells musty. We have electricity to this barn. The barn does not have any vents and is pretty airtight. As a roll-up door on one end and a regular solid door on the other. It is so humid inside that we've had some leather saddles develop mold on them. What do you recommend to make it less humid and get rid of the smell? You got two choices here. One, you can try putting some vents in. And what I would really recommend is probably put an attic solar fan on the roof and then have some intakes down around the bottom uh, since it's a metal building those are easy to install and you know the solar fan can kick on and, and suck the air on up and out but your other option which is a guaranteed going to take the humidity levels down and out is to just put in a dehumidifier uh, you know since it is sealed up so well uh, you know that'll that'll take the humidity levels down and this is a common problem on these uh, metal buildings that that are sealed up pretty tight that they will develop high humidity so you can go either way the solar power fan that i'm talking about um you know, the big advantage to that is you're not paying for any electricity you got nothing mechanical other than that solar fan that's that's working and those are are usually pretty bulletproof they they tend to to last real well your humidity levels will pretty much always be the same as what's outside with with doing it that way and for for most things that's enough uh so that's that to me would probably be the easiest and least expensive way to go because you're not having to to buy a a dehumidifier that you got to take care of and such You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.